0: Folks, and welcome back to plane Crazy Down Under, episode number thirty-one of the program where we look at the world of aviation from an Australia Pacific point
1: of view. My name's Steve Fisher, and his name is Grant McHeron. G'day, mate. Hey, that would be me. Yes. How you doing, mate? Hey, it looks like you. Well, it's, it's the real me. It's not the virtual me. It's not anything like that. I'm back. I'm in the country, and I'm uh, kind of happy to be uh, in a place where the internet is uh, comparatively much better.
0: Yeah. So uh, just to uh, bring everybody up to date, Grant, tell us all where you've been.
1: Oh, I spent a few weeks uh, over in Indonesia. I was doing an IT project with a bunch of uh, online video people and uh, yeah, we uh, at one point were doing a camp, got everyone together, bought the servers together, so fortunately we weren't too worried about the uh, very lousy internet connection, we were able to do all our work with the machines locally. But we were in a um, animal rescue centre uh, reserve, uh, so we were there with lots and lots of monkeys, orangutans, or, and birds, and so on. So it was a um, quite interesting time. I've got some audio recordings that I'll put up on my personal blogs of um, things like the frogs going off back in Yogyakarta and the uh, monkeys waking up out in the middle of the of the jungle. It was it was quite impressive. Saw a few aircraft. Was going to go and visit the um, Indonesian Air Force Museum at Yogyakarta, but unfortunately there was just too much work going on and I didn't get time to take a break or anything. It was go, go, go. But uh, maybe next time um, back there, I'll be able to drop in and check that place out and hopefully record an interview.
0: Yeah, well, of course, uh, you've been busy over there doing that, and, of course, I've been busy traveling to Perth
1: because,
0: you know, there was a little air race on over there in Perth recently, mate.
1: You know, I had heard something about that. Um, I seem to be remembering sitting in a hotel in in Yogyakarta working in the heat and uh, watching somebody's Twitter feed about that.
0: Yeah, the old PCDU Twitter feed went into overdrive uh, over the uh, middle weekend of uh, April as I uh, journeyed over to Perth to watch the Red Bull Air Race, round two of the 2010 season, and uh, boy, what a weekend it was. Uh, My first trip out as a uh, quote-unquote real journalist uh, got the media pass mm. and all the rest and mm. big thanks to the red bull uh, press office for uh, allowing me to uh, have access to their facilities there what an amazing experience it was and i'll talk a bit about that later beautiful weather perth is a wonderful place uh, for those of you who are not aware where perth is of course it's way over on the west coast of australia one of the most if not the most remote capital city on the planet i believe grant
1: yeah well it's it's further away from melbourne than new zealand uh, that's for sure it's a five-hour flight instead of a three-hour flight it's way the heck over there in the, in the resource area of Western Australia. It's a wonderful place. The second
0: time I've been there and uh, every bit as enjoyable as the first time I was there. Now uh, of course it's been quite a while Grant since we put out our last episode and uh, apart from uh, Red Bull and uh, doing all the production work that we've uh, managed uh, from that little outing, we've also been doing a lot of other recordings and uh, trying to assemble it all together into one episode but as it turns out we've just got too much and this would have ended up being about a two and a half hour show so we're uh, splitting this one off. This one will be a Red Bull Air Race wrap up from Perth only and uh, episode 32 is going to follow just a couple of days after this one so so, uh, so yeah, this, that'll be out in a couple of days. So uh, yeah, just keep an eye on your iTunes or uh, whatever program you use. But in the meantime, let's kick it off, Grant. And here's a wrap up of the Red Bull Air Race from a plain crazy down under perspective. Woo-hoo! The Red Bull Air Race Travelling Roadshow rolled into Perth in mid-April to host the second round of the 2010 season. Located on the banks of the beautiful Swan River, this would have to be one of the most idyllic settings in Australia to host a race such as this, and despite some opportunistic rumblings from various East Coast politicians about relocating to Sydney or Melbourne, Perth offers the perfect mix of easy access, an on-site race airport and glorious weather. So, with my newly minted press credentials and a media pass in hand, I set off to the track on qualifying day to sample the race from a different perspective to my previous birth outing, that of a journalist. Upon arrival at the Red Bull Air Race Media Centre, I found myself instantly rubbing shoulders with international journalists, photographers and the full-time Red Bull production crew. It's these people that really impress me here. They're flat out from start to way past race finishing time, preparing everything from video and audio through to press releases, going out to all corners of the planet. In the media centre, everything's provided for you, from team media kits to full internet access access, real-time race telemetry, oh and really good food. Naturally the Red Bull is everywhere and although I'm not a huge consumer myself there were plenty who were and they were more than happy to avail themselves of the unlimited supply. Of course the biggest news to this point had taken place the previous day. Brazilian rookie pilot Addison Kindleman had been running through the course on a training run when he appeared to g stall in a very tight turn, finding himself plunging straight into the water. This is the first time in the history of the race that such an event has occurred, but Kindleman was rapidly and expertly rescued by safety crews, and they're ever-present on the water, just in case. Race commentator Nick Fellows gave us this summary.
2: The first training session of the Red Bull Air Race Championship in Perth, Australia, was immediately interrupted after a dramatic crash of Addison Kindleman
3: while maneuvering his mxr race plane approaching gate three in the middle of the racetrack kindleman impacted the water with his wings level
2: and tail first it was amazing to see how fast the rescue teams were able to get the brazilian out of his impacted mxsr taking less than one minute for the specially trained divers to get to the accident
0: today they uh, were stars absolute stars and uh, got to the pilot, uh, made sure he was okay and uh, and did that in record time and and got the canopy off, got him um, some air and uh, got him out of the aeroplane.
2: Without any time wasted, Kindleman was brought to the Royal Hospital of Perth. The specialists there were truly surprised to see the good condition of their patient.
4: Basically we did some preliminary tests uh, to make sure he didn't have any uh, broken bones or any other internal injuries. I'm pleased to say that uh, we couldn't pick up anything, uh, any significant injuries uh, through
2: our initial scan, uh, x-rays and lab tests. The Brazilian appreciated the great support from the whole Red Bull Air Race family. I'm feeling good. <laughs> I love alive. I, love, I love. I'm feeling alive. It's good. Taking a look at the damaged plane and you can clearly see how lucky Kindleman was. Also good to see that all the possible safety precautions were working well and to maximum efficiency.
0: The incident serves as a clear reminder to all about the dangers associated with this extreme sport. To give us a more clear idea of the stresses and forces experienced by both aircraft and pilot, have a listen to Matt Hall straining as he takes us on this tour of the Perth track.
5: Hello everyone, I'm Matt Hall and welcome to sunny Perth. I'm about to take you through the racetrack track and show what it's like from my view. So here we are crossing the Narrows Bridge, we've been cleared into the track and the smoke is coming on. Now I'm setting up for the first gate, I want to be getting down to 40 feet, getting myself some nice turn room for the first gate. Here we are, leveling out, lined up with the first gate, and now running in to start the time. And here comes the start-finish gate, and we're running into the first gate, it's a cane. We go back one, two, three, and we get lots of room for the next gate, Running around the corner and leveling out. And then back for our first vertical turn, here we go. Pulling up, not too right on the buffet of the aircraft, over the trap, and back down to 40 feet up 40 feet, looking to get corner room now for the first knife edge gate, here it comes, and falling knife edge, now hard oh duty, straight, looking for the next knife edge gate, here it comes, and knife edge, and setting up now for our next vertical turn. Pulling up, looking for the end of the first flight, into the start finishing gate. Reaccelerating, lots of energy, and that's one lap. Back to the chicane, here we go. One, two, three. We're getting fast, low, getting lower energy now. That's the turn room and wrench level. Next vertical turn. Here it comes. Oh, lots of straining, and relocating the next turn. So right down, very steep, and leveling out at the last moment. And now setting up for the knife edge. Here it comes. Round the corner. Knife edge. That's just training. Once again, getting tired Working hard to stay conscious. Here we go. Second knife. There it is. Two gates to go. Lining up the last turn. Here it goes. Over the top. And there's the start finish gate. One gate to go driving down and there we are successful track
0: And so it was into the action, with all pilots getting two official practice runs through the course. At the end of this day, everyone's best times would be tallied for the first ten positions in Sunday's qualifying rounds, with the bottom four competing for two wildcard spots to make up the top twelve. The track was quickly enveloped in a haze of smoke and noise as one by one the hopefuls tore their way through. It seemed as though many pilots struggled through this session with technical issues such as smoke machines not working properly, through to multiple pylon hits. One of the more noticeable changes I observed to the aircraft are the addition of winglets this year, sported by Nigel Lamb and Alejandro. McLean. Lamb's MXSR is always striking with its distinct yellow-brightling colour scheme, and the winglets gave the aircraft a somewhat imposing look as he belted his way around the course. Of course, all eyes were on local favourite Matt Hall, and he didn't disappoint with a near-perfect run-through in his usual smooth and polished style. It's always interesting to compare Matt's method against some of the other pilots who appear to aggressively attack each manoeuvre. Matt's style is more comparable to that of British champion Paul Bonhomme, in that it's very smooth and flowing. While he posted competitive times during his two runs on this day, he was quickly overtaken by the likes of Hannes R and the popular Canadian Pete McLeod. At the end of day one, Matt easily qualified for the top 12 though and he offered these thoughts.
6: I was more satisfied um, after the first run that I was like, yep, I was ranked number two for a long time and then I think came in number four overall. I was like, yep, no, I can do faster than that. Went out in the second run, not necessarily to beat my time. I actually just wanted to experiment because uh, I haven't actually had much training because I've been kicked out of the track a couple of times so um, I used it as a training session but I was still pretty happy but then as everyone else flew and I started coming down the ranks it was like wow, everyone's flying fast and to see Nigel's last raw time I've still got a lot of work ahead of me to, uh, to try and pick that up. As
0: always, Austrian Hannes Ark finished the qualifying rounds at the head of the pack. Despite a fair amount of background noise, I was able to have a quick chat with Hannes and got his thoughts on the race to this point, along with a few other interesting facts. OK, we're here with uh, Hannes Ark. Hannes, uh, welcome to Australia. And uh, how did it go for you today after qualifying?
7: Thank you very much. No, I'm quite happy after the qualifying day. I mean, I could do two really fast times. uh Unfortunately I needed another tenth of a second to beat Paul, so, uh, but I know where I can get that, and hopefully I can do the same performance tomorrow a little bit faster little and, bit. and everything works out. It's
0: quite a stiff breeze coming across the river today, did that have any impact on uh, the way you flew the uh, the
7: qualifying? Actually uh, to be honest uh, it was the calmest day of all the, of those days we trained here, we have been here, so today so it was the really nice flying, just like I think four knots from the east, land something land like across. that. So. Uh, didn't the really affect prepare, the flying uh,
0: as there's it was
1: uh, yesterday, for example. Yeah. Event,
0: With uh, Addison Kinnaman having his out unfortunate out incident, and is that in the, you mean, mind, in the back of your mind, in the back of other pilots' minds as they go around today? You've just got, got to put that behind cross. you and
7: keep going. I think uh, it's in the back of our minds. Like, uh, anyway, like as soon as you start racing here, you face those dangers and always live with those pictures. Uh, finally, we saw it the first time, and we are happy that Kindleman uh, was smiling in the evening. Yeah. So, that is a big release also to see that the rescue team works. So, from that point of view, uh, uh, it was easy to, to uh, deal with that situation yeah. than uh, if it would be a bit worse. Yeah. Your
0: aircraft this year, is it the same one that you've been flying recently, or is it a new aircraft?
7: No, it's a new aircraft. It's like the the new Edge, called Edge V3. So I'm the first one having this airplane. Now I think it's fast. It's a new generation of race planes, uh, and so far it works really good.
0: Yeah, I noticed that they've put a, a, a G limit of 12 Gs on the pilot's. How does that affect you? I, I noticed when you've flown at times, last time I saw you, you in 08. I'm pretty sure you went over the 12 Gs when you went through the gate a few times. Is that something you've got to modify your flying style to, to compensate Absolutely. for?
7: Absolutely. I mean, you have to be soft on the stick. You have to pay attention, not to overcheat. If you're OG, you have to inspect the structure, and uh, that's basically the working together so between organisation, uh, manufacturer, and us pilots. Please. As long as it's the same for everybody, I don't care. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, I'm sure it's been a very busy day for you, and I really appreciate you uh, spending a couple of minutes with us. Thanks very much.
3: Thank you very much.
0: And with that, we move on to Sunday, where the serious stuff begin in earnest. And at the top of day two, we were straight into the top 12 round, with Matt Hall starting out in fourth place. This round begins with the slower times from the previous round going through first. With Saunter and McLean already out, Maroya and Sergey Rekhmanen were always going to find it a struggle penalties and flying errors began to show through as these pilots and the other backmarkers tried their best to get the most out of their machines and themselves. As the quicker pilots came in for their runs, we saw the times, and the mistakes, fall away sharply. The French pilot, Nicholas Ivanov, showed some surprising consistency with his run, and no doubt had the top runners worried for a short time, and when the Americans Kirby Shambliss and Gulian set it up for their runs, we were all expecting big things. But of course, the biggest applause came for Aussie pilot Matt Hall, and his super smooth and consistent style were both a pleasure and a thrill to watch. His good friend Nigel Lamb was excellent as well and his new aircraft sporting those winglets of course looked absolutely fantastic and Hannes Ark was awesome with his speed and skill as always but the absolute star of this ram was britain's champion paul bonham despite his smoke system failing Costing him a one second penalty, he still managed to blitz the field with a time of around 1 minute 26. At the end of the top 12, Hall was still in first place, but leaving Perth and heading for the showers at this point were Sergei Rachmanin, Moroya of Japan, Bessignet and surprisingly Mike Goulian. Later on that day Mike tells us what went wrong.
8: You know it was
6: actually going smooth. We had a plan just to, to tighten up a few little things, I think we did that. Uh, it was a fast net time, and I'm just not sure how I just slid right into that pile. And I got—we looked at—it's it, about three inches in there, and yeah, it's just a little lapse in
8: concentration or something there, and that's what you get.
0: From there it was straight into the Super 8 round and it was McLeod of Canada leading things off with a fast and smooth run, followed by Dolderer of Germany with a nasty couple of pylon hits which put him straight out of contention. Then it was Matt Hall's turn and he didn't disappoint, giving the rest of the pilots a lot to think about with a blistering 127.65. From this point on he was the guy the rest had to get ahead of to make the final four. This was achieved after a nail biting session that had the Perth crowd on the edge of their seats as Nigel Lamb, then Paul Bonhomme and finally Hannah Sark all betted Hall's time. These pilots made up the final four and for the remainder it was the end of their weekend's activities. Canada's Pete McLeod tells us all about his last run.
8: Yeah, you know, uh, I was geared up for it here. Um, of course, you know, you got some heavy hitters um, finishing out the top eight. But uh, uh, you know, to come in, be ready for the last guy in the track, and just waiting is good. And uh, I actually, you know, I made a couple mistakes in that super eight round—not uh, penalties, but left a little bit on the uh, second Cubans, and um, that cost me. I think probably. I was fat, running faster than Matt this week, probably could have beat it, so close, but you know, another experience and good to fly twice a day.
0: And so began the final four round. Here's Steve Jones and Nick Fellows.
2: The start list for the final four, Australia's Matt Hall will get the action underway, Nigel Lamb, Hannes Ark and Paul Bonham. Matt Hall will go first, then uh, we will see Lamb, Ark and then uh,
3: Paul Bonham very impressive but uh, watch the speed yeah so 361 he's up the speed that's about as close as you dare get nicely and smoothly through chicane this is the important bit this is the difficult three to four with the angles yeah nicely done not too aggressive there that's uh, that's not we think the fastest way through that first vertical turn so important with this 270 degree turn. Leave it as late as possible to get the airplane into knife edge and stick over to the left. Back
2: now, Matt Hall. Remember, looking to improve on 127.65. It would be nice if he could get a 126. Oh, 126.51. 126. That's the fastest time all day long, and that's exactly what these Australian fans have come to see. Matt Hall, a massive improvement, and no one has flown faster than that here today in Perth.
3: Ah, Nigel. He's capable of winning this, Nigel, and he knows it.
2: Now, let's see if Nigel Lamb can get the better of Matt Hall. 126.51 is the target. The entry speed, 360 kilometers per hour. He could have gone another 10 faster, but very smooth, slick through the chicane. Now, three horizontal, no problems there for Lamb. The first turning maneuver, doesn't want to go too high. That's what we've assessed from the previous performances. Look at the clock, 19.45, and he's off the pace by 0.11 of a second. Nigel Lamb has worked do time needs to be found, and just scrambles
3: into knife edge flight before he enters the gate.
2: It'll be very close 126 51. Will Britain take the lead away from Australia? Will Matt Hall hold on?
3: And Matt Hall holds on
2: to top position. Nigel Lamb goes second, 0.77 off the pace of the leading Australian. Hannes Ark in the final four for the first time this season. It's going to be difficult to beat. H540 V3 comes in at 363 kilometres per hour. That's the fastest entry speed so far.
3: And a little bit uh, varying in height through the chicane. So not the fastest way of getting through there, a little bit. Oh, was he, did he manage to get the wings level? Then TV stewards will be looking at that. Very aggressive. And he's got the green light
2: by 0.11 of the second. Hannes leads going into gate 6.
3: And then hard back on the
2: stick of Synergy enter that gate. 1.26.51, now it's Austria up against Australia. And Hannes Ark takes the lead by 0.48 of a second, 1 minute 26.03. Matt Hall down to second with one pilot left to fly. In comes Paul Bonham looking for his second win of the season and looking to deny Hannes Ark his first of the 2010 Tour if he's to take his second win of the season. He has gone faster, but that was in qualifying. The
3: track record set 24 hours ago. But the uh, smoke is a little dotted. I hope this smoke doesn't pack up before he finishes. 356, relatively conservative start speed. Smooth through the chicane. Yeah, and just scrambles through. I'm worried about his smoke.
2: And for the first time this week, the world champion is feeling the pressure. The smoke is not looking that good either. I have to say, can he just hold on now to the finish line? 126 no. 03. It's Hannes Ark's day. Paul Bonham can only manage third position.
0: In fourth place, Nigel Lamb. In third place, Paul Bonham. And the winner of the 2010 Red Bull
2: Air Race Perth <laughs> is Hannes Ark. Congratulations. <laughs> Confirmation of the results from round two of the Rebel Air Race World Championship. Hannes Ark takes top spot. Matt Haller, PB, in second. Paul Bonham, Lamb, McLeod, Ivanov, Doldra, and the American Kobe Chambliss down in eighth position. Yoshida Maroya in ninth. Peter Bejanet finishing tenth. Then Goulian Rachmanin, McLean, and the rookie Martin Shonker in 14th.
0: For the hugely supportive Australian crowd, it didn't matter that Matt Hall came second. They were jumping out of their seats with excitement just to see him up on the podium. The applause was loud and long as he made his way up and lasted for a long time after the ceremony was over. For this former Royal Australian Air Force fighter pilot, the decision to pursue this career path must now be sitting very comfortably with him. Here's what the top three had to say after the race.
9: Hannes, congratulations. After all the frustrations of Abu Dhabi, how important was it to come out here and make a statement in Perth?
7: Yeah, I think it was really important for me because I was struggling I didn't know should I like attack or should I hold back, and really worried. When I did just the 129, I wanted to do more. I wanted to do more than the 127. Then said, well, then uh, I think that's uh, my turn now, and I tried to do it, and uh, luckily it worked out.
9: Matt, talk about keeping cool under pressure. What does it mean to you to
6: end up on the podium here in front of your home crowd? Oh, it's an absolute dream. Ever since I started last year, I've been focusing on Perth. It's been a huge amount of pressure I've put on myself. Australia's been behind me. That's the best thing, and uh, and I feel proud that I've 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 uh, fought back and represented Australia the best I can. So I'm I'm, uh, I'm stoked.
9: Paul, you've been quickest all weekend, but when it counted, you lost some time. What happened out there?
10: Well, I'm not sure. i was just talking to the guys. You know, I thought I was being fairly aggressive in the second half, but apparently not. It looked like I was going for a bit of a stroll. I had a bit of a wobble um, halfway round because I was trying quite hard, and I felt a bit of a nibble on the old elevator. So I thought mm, I better back off here. Maybe that was that was the clue that made me back off for the rest of the lap.
0: And with all those formalities out of the way, it was a mad scramble back to the media centre for the press conference, which I managed to record.
9: Gentlemen, thank you very much for your patience. Please welcome our winning runners-up, the staff and in second Matt Paul, and in third, Paul Bottom. <laughs> Thank you, gentlemen, for joining us. Um, if
7: I can start with you, Hannes, your your first win in a year. What does that mean to you? Actually, it means a lot for me after the disaster of Abu Dhabi, and uh, it's quite hard to uh, get rid of uh, things like that happening you know, in my in my in a in head. Yeah. So uh, I struggled the whole week uh, with like being nervous and uh, being overexcited, Then uh, the whole thing came back. Finally, I managed to get over it and uh, pulled off, I think, the right um, tactics at the right time.
9: Did it take some time just to push yourself back up to where you needed to
7: be? Actually, it took longer than I expected. I thought, well, just get rid of it and uh, continue. But uh, things like that, they stay in your mind. So that was my main task this week. Apart from that, my team, I think, did a great job. They backed me up. Uh, and uh, finally, um, yeah. I mean, it was a tough race because out there, today when I did the first uh, uh, run out there, with was at 1, 129, I was kind of disappointed. I could not imagine to get closer to pole. Uh, the same um, happened with 127. so I said, well, uh, so obviously you have to wait for the final run and focus fully, risked, and uh, everything went um, out perfect. So what was it that gave you the edge, that clinched it at the end? I think uh, I mean, uh, looking back now, I could manage to stay with myself and just focus on the racing and not on anything else, not on, on other other pilots, not on LAMP and uh, all. I mean, that was a big surprise for me and congratulations. Uh, because he the whole week he had not so fast time and suddenly he's here, you know. So, uh, But I managed to not have them in my head, just focus on my own runs, on my own times, tactics, uh, the flying. and. Uh, uh, if you are with yourself out there and if you can do that,
9: uh, that's uh, the trick, then you're fast. Thank you very much for the moment, Maddie. Matt, many congratulations Thanks. to you. Your best result and obviously to do it at home, that must been quite special.
6: Yeah, it is, uh, it is a special place for me to achieve my best result so far. Uh, this this location's been on my radar since I started racing last year and um, it's, it's been, been building over time and uh, this last week's been extremely difficult for a lot of reasons. Uh, and uh, I'm actually I'm quite proud of myself for, uh, for keeping focused and, and just and just looking inwardly at myself. And um, I, I've also got to say that it's a fantastic location for me to uh, to do this with uh, my two new sponsors on board with Vivid uh, Wireless and Massel too. So I uh, feel like really proud as well. So what did you do to keep yourself focused and to to know
9: that you had to save the best to last?
6: Um all all week um, I was having I was struggling with the aircraft, we're still trying to set it up. And uh, in in two training rounds I actually saw issuing the uh in the chicane so um, I needed to back off and uh, and regain my own confidence that uh, it's all about it's all about me just flying the track, not about trying to keep up with everybody else. So I backed off, I knew I had more in the tank, and I just had to regain my, my composure and my, my flow. Exactly like Hannah's just said, I just refocused on myself, I didn't worry about everyone's times, so I knew I could go fast when it mattered, and now uh, that's what I did. I just practiced on quality day, and then I, I actually opened it up a bit more today, and certainly paid off. How was it finding the confidence with the new engine? Because obviously there's, there's still not enough running time, really, but you managed to
9: pull something quite special out of the back.
6: Yeah, well, um, I've been. We've been working on the engine. We got uh, the new engine changed uh, when we got here to Perth. Uh, I spent a lot of time. I've been. i flown every single day for the last um, 14 days, basically. I've been, been quite busy and tired. Uh, and we still didn't know how the engine was going to go, and we, and we didn't actually finalise setting it up until late last night. We uh, in fact this morning. We finished setting it up. So going out on the track today, I knew we'd set it up as good as we could, but I actually hadn't flown behind it, it that. So. I still wasn't convinced the engine was uh, was as strong as the previous one, but uh, today I think I showed that. I uh, showed it myself that okay. it is set up quite well, um, and yeah, it, uh, it was worth it was worth the effort and the stress of doing it. Okay. thank you very
9: much, Matt. And Paul, taking third here today, you've been fairly consistent through all the stages today. You leading the championship going away from here, but are you
10: disappointed with third? No, not at all. I mean, obviously, I'd rather be first. Um, <laughs> but the aim of this weekend was to be in the top four and we've we've managed that. We're going away from the weekend with 10 points, having collected the qualifying point yesterday. And uh, we're sort of pleased, I'm frustrated with that last run because maybe my two blistering runs in the first part of the day sort of put me uh, into a slightly overconfident mood, but I haven't looked at the times yet, but it does look as though I just slowed down in the second half of uh, of the final lap. Is it important to know when you do something like
9: that?
10: It is, and um, what I do remember in the in the, in the final lap, I uh, I did have a tiny wobble. I had a bit of a bit of feedback from the elevator, and I thought maybe I'm pushing it just a little bit too hard. So I suspect that was the reason I slowed down. But uh, it just goes to show, you know, it's it's a great race, and for the top four to finish within a second or so of each other it just shows how competitive it's got. Well. Okay, so moment, Paul. Thank you very much. I'd
9: like to open it up to the floor now, ladies and gentlemen. Do you have any questions that you'd like to ask our pilots today?
7: Mr. Arch, congratulations for your victory. I'm from the Brazilian press. I would like to you to say, what can you say uh, for Adilson, a Brazilian pilot that certainly was here watching your victory and uh, and certainly he's listening to us now. What can you say to him after his accident? And uh, what can you talk about the Brazilian track in Rio? What do you expect from the race? talking to Adi is uh, <clears throat> I would say just start flying as fast as possible because I uh, you know he loves to fly he loves to compete out there and uh, I think uh, that's the best he can do to overcome the situation uh, he was in really tough situation other than that we are really happy to have him still with us I can remember when I walked in the hospital I saw him flying I saw, tough, uh, saw him laughing out there uh, in, in the bed I thought so this is a tough guy you know and it looks like he's really positive, uh, and so with that spirit, I want to go to uh, Brazil, uh, especially because I remember it was my second race in my career, and I uh, luckily got uh, uh, first uh, in the first position there. which was a great success uh, in the first year, second race. So a lot of positive thoughts about Brazil. So I'm really looking forward to going there. What about the track? Uh, the track. I mean, uh, we looked at the track. Every track is. Uh, the same difficulty as, as long as the same for everybody. But it looks like a competitive track, competitive track, so I'm really looking forward and hopefully we get, uh, hopefully the track will turn out a little bit the same like it was here because this track we all love very much. It was a very competitive track. You could lose a lot of uh, time by doing the wrong lines or gain a lot by doing the right lines. So we hope for tracks like that in the future.
9: Thank you very much, anyone else?
3: any more
6: questions from the floor? One question. First from the map. I noticed that look of and Nigel M the winglets on their MXS. Are you investigating that for a future amendment down the path? I am looking at developing my plane. Um, my plane is only you know, effectively two months old now. And, um, Rather than rushing in and getting the same wing kits as, as those, uh, I think the plane's competitive enough at the moment that it will need modifications as everyone continues to improve. And uh, my plan is actually to uh, start developing an Australian-based um, company that uh, can assist me develop you know, the, the world's largest race plan. So rather than uh, you know, just jumping and strapping on, the plane seems to be competitive right now. And uh, next year, or even later this year, we'll, uh, we'll get some more Aussie mods on it and how uh, the plane will become an, an australian designed and modified and you know, speed modded aircraft. And, and uh, that, that's, that's the future for uh, my team. Yes, sir. Just one, uh, with the increasing use now in simulators with uh,
3: Formula One, and this is Formula One of the air, are you guys going to look at using simulators in the future for practicing the tracks as they come up? Because I noticed, like on some of the websites, they get the GPS's of the, the, uh, the pylons, so you know exactly where everything is.
6: I, I, think, uh, I think simulators are definitely the way of the future, uh, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, we, it's, it's basically a, it's still a development thing. Uh, with, the, with the budgets, um, at the moment the, uh, the important thing is to get the planes fast and then when we start, uh, we start running out of options there or we get to, you know, the, the bigger budgets moving with us, uh, simulation is definitely going to be uh, the way, you know, as I've used, we of hours of simulators and uh, their, their value is uh, it's unstable.
10: Eric, okay, well, we had a three-race winning streak before today. I'm um, sure we'll a lot of guys standing on top of the podium for that. We we'll talked all day about the pressure of being racing in Australia. We want to use that to positive, to positive energy. How did it work out today? But Eric, you always look on the downside. <laughs> 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 um, no, I'm, I'm very happy. Um, I would love, to, I'd love to come first or even second. But hey, we, we as I've said already, we came. Uh, to, uh, to try and get them in top four, we've done that. We're going away with uh, ten points, so so very pleased. But you know, do, don't uh, don't be worried. I will be looking at the split times on that last run to see exactly where it uh, didn't quite work out. Eric, thanks for looking on the positive side
6: for me. Um, <laughs> the um, the, the, <laughs> the energy was definitely there. Um, you yeah, know, the uh, quote of hometown advantage can uh, can go both ways very rapidly and uh, I I deliberately used it. Um, I had a few people saying, ignore the crowd, don't worry about the crowd, but uh, I was feeling upbeat and uh, as I was walking up the plane that last time, there was, uh, I think it was one of the hotels just next to where we were starting, it was just lined with people and all cheering and screaming. So I thought, you know, there's only one solution here. I turned around and put my hands in the air before I flew and uh, went off and I thought, yeah, I'm I'm gonna do this. So uh, I managed to harness the energy as opposed to convert it to stress, so it, it worked out.
9: Any more questions? No? no just That's one, great.
3: Just
11: oh, one, more one, one final thing. On behalf of the freelance journalists here, I do thank you and your fellow pilots for the availability you've given us for the last week. It's been nothing short of sensational. You're a credit to yourselves
10: and you're a credit to the report. I thank you. Thank you,
9: then, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you, gentlemen, for your time. That concludes our press conference.
1: That was pretty intense. Well done for putting it all together. And uh, for someone who was struggling to get to everywhere at once and uh, having fun coming up to speed in in a media place, you did a pretty good job, man. You had a really good time.
0: Yeah, it was a real learning experience for me this time out, and I'll be much better prepared the next time. And of course, we're going to prevent your employer from sending you to anywhere else but Perth the next time we do this.
1: (laughs) Yeah, no, I'll I'll try and make sure that uh, they think about this and, and make sure I'm not going anywhere. But they all knew that I was quite upset to not be at Perth. I mean, much noise it was fascinating being in Indonesia. Um, I, I really, really missed not being in Perth for that weekend and uh, catching up with everyone that I've either interviewed on the radio or um, spoken to online on emails. So, yeah, no, I think I think that segment you just put together there was pretty good. Yeah, very impressive. Uh, it flowed together quite nicely. Yeah, Let think, me get the feel of it.
0: Yeah, thanks, mate. I uh, did. I put a lot of work into that one. And I should just mention, folks. Of course, uh, uh, some of the audio. Clips that you heard there were obviously uh, not recorded by me, and those are actually courtesy of the uh, Red Bull Air Race content pool uh, from their press office. Uh, so we just need to acknowledge that, and uh, a huge thank you once again to uh, to the Red Bull people for letting us come along, and we uh, we certainly look forward to doing it all again next year. Indeed. The one thing I found actually, Grant, with uh, with being on, it's one of those events that. Because of the way it's set up on, on the banks of the Swan River in this case, you've basically got the crowd and the main media centre on one side of the river, and you've got the race airport and its uh, media area and all the rest on the other side. Now, they did have a bus running for uh, for the press people, and you could transit from one side of the river to the other, but one of the things I, I you know, anybody that knows me will laugh at this comment, but I, I'm just going to need to learn to be more organised, because uh, you know time <laughs> management is not one of my strengths normally, but... Uh, Yeah, I just found myself more often than not being on the wrong side of the river at the wrong time uh, every time. So uh, the next time we go, um, yeah, like I say, it'll be Grant and I. Both will be there and uh, (laughs) I'll be on one side of the river the whole time and Grant will be on the other. should just mention also, folks, that I managed to snap off uh, a total of 999 photos on my brother's (laughs) camera. (laughs)
1: Oh, wow.
0: (laughs) And my brother Adam, who is the official uh, PCDU photographer, is uh, madly running all of those through his copy of Adobe Lightroom right now. And uh, as soon as he's got those processed, we'll put them up on the website. I have put some photos up on our Facebook page. And also, uh, I've actually managed to get one of them accepted on... uh, Airliners.net, which is dun dun dun. Oh, it's amazing. It's the first time in five years I've had a photo accepted on airliners.net. My God, I thought I felt the Earth wobble on its orbit. Absolutely, you know that was just me falling out of bed this morning, mate. But oh, okay. Yeah, so uh, there will be photos, <laughs> and actually, what I'm thinking of doing is once we've we've got these photos together, we think we'll probably get mm, you know, 100, 150 together. We'll throw those all on a DVD, and we might have a think about how we might distribute those to anybody who might like some who might like a copy. But uh, well, like
1: a a wee donation might get you a DVD.
0: Yeah, something like that but uh, we'll, we'll think about that a bit later on and uh, once we've got that put together we'll we'll certainly let you know. So uh, coming up after the break folks, we've got more Red Bull Air Race stuff coming up for you. We're going to be chatting to uh, Nigel Lamb. We had him on the line from Rio where they're uh, setting up for the next race as we record this and Nigel's given us an absolutely fascinating interview. Really, really detailed talking about the mechanics of flying itself and how he's got his aircraft set up and uh, yeah, his aircraft uh, looks uh, sensational this year. Love that brightling colour scheme he has on his plane. Also We'll be talking to the uh, now ex- Chief Engineer of Matt Hall Racing, Lenny Rullison he was their Chief Engineer at the time when I interviewed him at the race but straight after the race he's uh, decided to move on and uh, so uh, that was really interesting having a chat to him and to explain the changes at uh, Matt Hall Racing we'll also have David Lyle who's Matt Hall's uh, team manager or team coordinator I think is the term they use there and yep. uh, we had a bit of a chat to him so uh, that's all coming up after the break.
1: So it's a very intense Red Bull session this episode
0: Woo-hoo. Yep, stick around folks, we'll be right back
6: I'm really excited to announce the first ever Matt Hall Racing YouTube video competition.
5: Every month between
6: now and the end of the season, my team is going to award a Matt Hall Racing gift pack for the video they think is the best featuring me. At the end of the year, one of these winners plus one randomly drawn entrant will win a flight with me.
5: All you have to do to enter, is make a video between one and three minutes long, then send
6: us a link at team at matthoracing.com to let us know that you posted it on YouTube. Good luck.
3: Flight Experience 556 you're cleared for
5: takeoff. Imagine sitting in a
2: pilot's seat, flying past London Bridge or the Eiffel Tower and landing at just about any airport. It's not just a flying experience, it's flight experience. From the roar of the engines to amazing visuals, Flight Experience puts you in control of a 737 flight simulator. It's so real, your senses actually believe you're flying. For more information, go online to flightexperience.com.au or call 1-800-737-800. Flight Experience, the ultimate flying experience.
9: Experience. Want to advertise your business on the Plain Crazy Down Under podcast? Scripts and Voices has teamed up with the boys at Plain Crazy Down Under to bring you an
8: exclusive offer. Scripts and Voices can make your ad to feature on this podcast at a specially reduced cost. That includes writing your ad, voiceover, backing music, and production. To get your ad made in time for the next podcast, check out scriptsandvoices.com. Follow the link and send us an email. For advertising rates and packages, please see the Plain Crazy Down Under website.
0: Well, it's a chilly old night here in Melbourne, Australia, but I'm sure that won't be bothering our next guest as he joins us on the line from Rio de Janeiro. It's Nigel Lamb. G'day, Nigel. How are you?
4: Oh fine, yeah. I am uh, I have to say it's uh, it's very nice here in Rio. It's a beautiful day, but I am missing home because we never managed to get home after leaving Perth.
0: Yeah, so tell us all about that, Nigel. The last time you spoke to your uh, team manager there, she was uh, madly trying to organise some sort of travel from Perth, but uh, that was looking like an impossibility. So uh, where did you end up heading off to?
4: No, well, we, our problem was that because... Our flights were uh, just about when they were opening the European airspace again. We got bumped to the back of the queue. So we were rescheduled uh, flying through Hong Kong and, and Dubai. Uh, Dubai for uh, Becky and Craig, I think. And, and I was through Hong Kong. And our flights got canceled. And we were rescheduled for the 5th of May. So um, it didn't make any sense. I mean, obviously, that wasn't the place to go. So we, went, we all routed through South Africa. And I, I spent a week there. And just arrived a, day, a couple of days ago here.
0: Okay, um, let's have a talk about Perth before we talk about Rio. Now uh, you came fourth in that uh, that race. It was a really exciting uh, weekend for us in Australia, obviously with uh, Matt Hall doing so well. But tell us about uh, how your weekend went from uh, from your point of view.
4: I had a good week, but in the end, I was uh, quite disappointed because I had um, I'd done uh, pretty really really well in T4 in the qualifying, and then on race day, my strategies all worked out brilliantly until the final, and then in the final, I just I guess I. Was, was slightly unfocused on a couple of gates and that was the end of it for me. Oh. So I was very disappointed to end up fourth in the end. Yeah, sure. And it's very easy to lose small fractions here and there. Um, but but having said that, I did think I hit a gate in uh, T12. So... I suppose I should have been uh, I was philosophically reasonably pleased because there was a point in the day when I thought I was 12th so I actually kind of went from 12th to 4th which is pretty good and got some so- good solid points so now I was, I, was, I was just a little bit disappointed uh, about the way I flew in the final but apart from that it was a very very good week for me. Can you tell me
0: Nigel um, one of the things I noticed uh, being there at Perth was that there wasn't a lot of wind around on the race day and a lot of the smoke from the aircraft that uh, had been coming through during the day was lingering across the track did that play a Factor at all in uh, when you were going through, or does it just something you just had to put to one side? No, not
4: at all. No, not 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 at all. You could you could. I, well, I put it this. Way, I mean, I never noticed it. The, the conditions were absolutely perfect. Yeah, yeah. From a, a benign track point of view, but a bit of, a bit of wind would have spiced things up. But um, no, it was it was very it was a good track, and even with that. No wind. I mean, between each race, you've got you must have a couple of minutes, so the smoke disperses enough that you could you you can see the track fine. I never even noticed it at all.
0: Might have been the way the angle of the sun was shining on it from uh, from the perspective of being on the ground, I guess, but uh, it did appear quite smoky. If we can move on quickly to your aircraft now, it looks strikingly different from uh, from what I remember the last time <laughs> I saw it. And the most uh, prominent thing, of course, is these huge winglets that you've got sitting on the uh, on the wings. Now, how did that yeah. come about? <laughs>
4: well, I mean, one of the one of the 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 well-known areas of for drag on any uh, airplane is uh, is is the induced drag that you get from the uh, from the wingtips. So ever since I first started uh, doing the air race in 2005, I, I was very conscious that you know if one can tidy up the flow of air at the wingtip, there is a benefit to be gained. So we went, we finally managed to get, go really deeply into it in 2008 and started the process of of getting something pretty radical made, which really should cure or at least reduce the the induced drag. And uh, you know it was a, an 18-month journey to get to get them operational in the, into the race. And uh, so yeah, I mean you, you can see they pretty they look pretty radical, and you yeah, know, maybe they're doing something good. I don't know.
1: You've gone from like a clipped square wing through to the curved, almost uh, looking like a triple seven kind of wing. Wingtip there and now into the winglets. So has that progression? What what changes have you noticed as you've gone through those?
4: No, I'm I'm not sure what 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 you mean about the triple seven one.
1: Oh, it's I noticed in some some of the photos of your aircraft, you have like a trailing edge is is longer than the leading edge. Uh, it comes back out into a uh, curves out into a bit of a point, but not a winglet.
4: Okay, okay, got you. No, so we we first started off with. Uh, well, what came from the fact I've actually got for this airplane I think I've got five sets of different <laughs> we've tried lots of different things we, from no almost no tips which yeah. gives you some uh, high speed benefits and very very fast roll rate and then we the curved ones I initially started with were not particularly brilliant I haven't mm-hmm. used those for two years and then we went to slightly bigger and then to the big 14 inch ones which you are referring to which kind of sweep back but they're flat and symmetrical and those of all of all the ones I've described so far the, the big flat ones were the best in terms of uh, turning, so uh, a, a better wing loading, a better wing loading for turning, but not quite so good for roll rate and high speed. But the winglets are uh, a real big jump to try and really cure the the flow of air between the bottom surfaces. I mean, you understand what induced drag is, yep. do you?
1: Yep. yep. Yeah. No, the, the the winglets are great for um, crews for a lot of the airliners and things like that, and the, the business jets. So it's, it's quite fascinating to see them on a racer.
4: Well, the the the. the, the, me, the the terminology is used is called induced drag, and it's the drag we induce by manoeuvring. So even when, uh, even when a uh a, a, a jumbo, or big airliner, or business jet, or whatever it is, is actually cruising from A to B. It is maneuvering, and by that we mean it's got a, it's got an angle of attack. And the heavier it is, the bigger the angle of attack. Yep. So in ours, we go to the maximum angle of attack, and we're sitting at or near the maximum angle of attack for quite a considerable percentage of our time in the track. So when you've got the the biggest angle of attack, you've got the biggest pressure differential between the bottom and the top surface of the wing. Mm-hmm. So that's when that's when you've got the a massive flow of uh, of air from the bottom to the top, which causes that big vortex on the wingtips. Although, and I mean, I did have some sake comments about your plane looks like an airbus but my assurance (laughs) was it doesn't fly it doesn't fly like one that certainly didn't appear to (laughs) if you can if you can control the flow of air at very high angles of attack which is where we are a lot of the time in the track then there is a benefit to be gained so uh, the problem we have is being able to scientifically deduce or measure exactly what the benefit is because two reasons really one is we uh we didn't introduce that modification on its own so you know once it's come out you know we have got a different engine we've got a different cowling we've got uh, different controls we've done series all the winter modifications so you can't really be specific but the other thing is even if you wanted to do a lot of comparisons between one set of tips and the other with everything else being the same because the track is three-dimensional and changes with even the small shift of wind or increase or decrease in temperature we it's very difficult to be able to go out and fly ten laps with say one set of tips and ten laps with the other, and then come back and with great confidence say, "Yeah, okay, you know, taking the average, these are better or not better or whatever." So you can't really measure it.
0: How do you go with the race technical uh, staff? Was there a uh, like a, a certification process that you needed to go through with them, or what sort of restrictions do they put on you modifying the aircraft in that way?
4: Okay, if you if you make a very small modification, uh, like you change the shape of your engine cowling or something like that, it's it's not it's not uh, a. Big issue If you make what's called a major modification or structural change, then it is a huge issue. And for sure, that's part of the reason why it took us 18 months because we went from drawing board through the whole process of analysis to try to measure what kind of benefit there would be, to look at budgets, decide whether it was meaningful and worthwhile. Then you go through uh, the next stage of design and all the way up to all the different processes up to production and air testing. And then the final test we had to do was to prove that the worst case scenario of the tip of the blade the the winglet blade hitting the heaviest fabric part of a f- pylon at the highest speed would be okay so that was the last test we did um, before we went to Abu Dhabi and we did a we actually ended up doing a pull test so basically we strapped the airplane down put the winglet on strapped the airplane down and then pulled to the fig- a greater figure than the designer required to just prove that it would be okay to hit a pylon yeah. but no i mean it's it's a big it is a big deal because you've got a lot of factors. First of all, you don't want to, uh, you know, you don't want the thing shattering on a pylon strike. You don't want it interfering with the controls. And also, there's huge different um, torsional moments on the wing, so you have to be sure that the wing itself can withstand the stresses that would come with a tip strike in the in the, in a pylon on a pylon. So no, it was all done properly, and, and and Red Bull are very much onto that to make sure that any structural or sort of real big modifications are properly done.
0: And it was interesting to see at the race too that I think was it Alejandro McLean's also using them. Yeah, correct. Yeah, and his winglets were noticeably smaller than yours.
4: Optical illusion. They're identical. They're identical. Really? Well, there you go. Yeah. Wow. I, I have um, I have collaborated to some degree over the years with Alex McLean because he and I were the first ones well I was the first to buy the MXS but he, he followed me very closely so the reason we, we started a joint collaboration in a kind of a way because of speed because where the airplanes were being built we wanted to just kind of collaborate on for example little things like the instrument panel layout and just so that the guys could just crack on and they knew that the two airplanes would be very very similar or very much the same so whenever they ordered one thing, they just ordered another. you know, And so from that collaboration, we we just kind of compared notes a little bit because we were the only two guys with a different airplane in the race. And for me, it was the first time since six that I was racing with another comparable airplane in the race. Because what happens if you, uh, in 2006, I went off on my own and got the MX2. So I had nothing to compare anything to. I mean, it was, is it the man? Is it the machine? I mean, you know, so I was floundering all through 2007. So for a year and a half, I was racing without anyone being in a sim- the same airplane. So come 2008, it was useful to end up saying, okay, this is where we are, and, and you could try and find a way forward to making more improvements and modifications because you could begin to make comparisons. So when it came to the winglets, it was us, uh, my team, the Brightling team, that that uh, first year of the whole process, no, no one knew what we were doing. But then we decided that it would be useful to have some help from Team McLean. So um, we would... Analyze the benefits of once once we built the once we built the winglets and i had air tested them i then uh, took them to madrid and we did some comparison testings against his airplane and it, and obviously the deal was that he would be able to have a set as well if we decided that they were worth it he, he would like a set as well his set are built from the same molds we we own the molds but we um get, we we um had two sets made, and, and he's got the other set, so they are identical. Sorry, that's a long winded way of telling. They're identical. <laughs> yeah,
0: it's interesting you say that because from the and I was watching you both take off from the from the race airport there, and it must be the paint job or something. And they they look smaller to me, but um, there you go. That's that's probably that's probably his advantage that they look different anyway to psych out the opposition.
4: Maybe, yeah, maybe. Now, now the only way you can psych out the opposition is by posting a faster time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: yes. <laughs> Distract them, make them make them second guess. Yeah, yeah. exactly. So, uh, yeah. Nigel, you're in in Rio and uh, now you haven't flown there yet. You've got a, I believe today or tomorrow, you're starting your, your test flights of your aircraft. Yeah. Have they walked you through the track yet? I know you probably have. Have you seen it? Is it set up yet or anything like that?
4: The only way to walk through the track is if you can walk on water. I thought they might have had a layout model or something. <laughs> you no, 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 there. you don't get a model. You get a, you don't get a model. You get a a track plan. So okay. everyone just gets a two D track plan. So you then you then analyze it whichever way you you want. The first look is when we go in the track on when, on Thursday.
1: How how do you do your analysis? You've got a two D plan. What are you looking for, and how are you um, converting that into your plan of attack? Is that something you can tell us about?
4: I think you you have to you have to just create a mental picture of what you think it's like based on the. Uh, I mean, a lot of guys go into measuring i used to do a lot of track analysis very scientific kind of track analysis but at the end of the day i think you end up just creating a based on your experience and your knowledge you, ba- you you basically create a mental picture of what you think the track is going to be like in three dimensions when you get into it and then and then you just go about the business on your first training flight which lasts 5 to 6 minutes of feeling your way around the track and that what that does is it really does establish a mental picture and then and then between your first and second and uh, training flights uh, d- between which i think you have something like about four hours you've got your cockpit video and you basically run through that loads of times and you have created a really accurate mental picture then and then what you're doing is you s- you're just finding a faster way through but knowing where the race line is and what the li- the best way to fly the track is just a matter of uh experience i'd say yeah. to find the line quickly
1: okay and and then just like, if, okay, if I've got to come around here and be in this position for this gate, I need to do this kind of maneuver and trading off speed and G's and so on like that and kind of which maneuver you're going no, to pull. Not this. Really,
4: no. no, it's not really as complicated as that because you, there's no trade-off of speed and G in a kind of a way. Basically, you, you've got full power and you've come through the start gate at the highest speeds you dare without getting a penalty. And then you basically, there is the, the quickest line on the track, which does, of course, vary with the wind. How, how you establish that line does vary with the wind. But basically, you then decide what angles to go through the gate. Whether you're going to go, you know, clockwise, anti-clockwise, uh, whether it's oblique or less oblique or straight, or how quickly you're going to turn after each gate, and you just, and then, you, and then you analysing your times and comparing them to other people's times, and and ho- hopefully by the end of uh, day one you've got a pretty good picture, and then you're really, really kind of fine-tuning it on day two, uh, and by the end of training four you should be pretty much in the ballpark, really.
0: That's an interesting point too, because um, I noticed in Perth this year, and I assume it's the same for the for every other venue, they've actually put some uh, speed and G restrictions on you this season. Does that affect the way you approach the race? Um, You've got to be a bit mindful of that, no, I guess. No.
4: Actually, actually, the speed and G restrictions were very, very much in controlled last year as well. Now, the, 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 the speed is measured extremely accurately. So we have, uh, in the cockpit, we've got a thing called an EFAS, and we see, so when we come towards the start gate, we have the EFAS set on, on on the race page, which just gives you your your speed, your ground speed. And and what you're seeing is what what they are seeing in the race control tower and also what is connected to the timing mechanism. If you click over to 201 knots instead of 200, the the, the timing mechanism will immediately give you a two-second penalty. Ouch! And if you go over... If you go over, well, last year that would have been a disqualification. If you went from 200 was perfect, 201 was disqualification. This year, uh, after a lot of consultation with the pilots, it's now a two second penalty between 201 and 205 knots. So if you, if in that five second, in that five knot bracket, which is quite a big overspeed, you, you would oh. just get a two second penalty. But that's pretty much the end of your race anyway. But at yeah. least you're not out. And, uh, and then if your EFIS clicks over to 206 knots as you pass, as you start the stop. Watch by flying through the laser beams on the start gate. If your EFIS is reading 206 knots, you're disqualified. So it shuts down the timing mechanism and tells you to go home for a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you yeah. Your race is over. So that, so, that, so that is a slightly better situation than we had last year, which was extremely uh, robustly policed because basically it's computers. I mean, it, you know, if you, it's just uh, the technology. If you were, if you were 200, if your EFIS read 201 knots as you triggered the start gate, you were out of the race. And uh, last year, the same as this year the g is completely controlled as well it's all all the data being streamed to the race control tower includes your your g as well and if at any time in the race you go over the the race limit which is 12 g our airplane the mxs has got an actual limit of 14 g um but if we we go to 12.1 then uh it just uh you get disqualified.
1: It's amazing stuff. I mean, I've I've pulled uh, just over six G doing arrows with friends, and and I know what it's like trying to stay within like ten knots. So this is a, a amazing flying out there, mate. Uh, the the flying that you and the other guys are doing it just blows my mind.
4: Um, oh, it's a matter of it's a matter of it's like anything in life. You know, if you do something thousands of times, you get used mm. to, it. and it's all it's all to do with what you know. And the truth is that I mean, these high these very high G. Uh, levels, you're talking about 11, 12g. I mean, we always. You should really be going to about 11 most races. I mean, if you're not, if you're not, you're probably not being aggressive enough. But it is for a very short spike, and and the yeah. time when the 11g comes is normally in the vertical manoeuvre. So it comes where your speed is bleeding off extremely quickly. So if you were to look at a uh, a graph of g, the amount of g on the vertical line and time on the horizontal line uh, in a normal graph, you would see a, a very sharp spike. So it'll go from 1g to 11g in a nanosecond, yeah. and then the, and then there'll be a very peaked spike because the speed is washing off quickly so the speed will drop, the G will drop very rapidly. I mean, it takes us three seconds to get from horizontal at the bottom to, to uh, inverted at the top to, of, uh, in about three seconds, 2.83 seconds. <laughs> so you can imagine that you've gone from, say, 180 knots to, oh, I don't know, 100 knots or something in, in three yeah. seconds. So yeah. the, speed, the, the G the g just drops off incredibly quickly. So it's no big deal that, that, that big spike. What is much, much harder is doing the two uh, 270 degree turn because that you might enter at 10g and then uh, it's not such a peak so it'll yeah. drop off very gradually You'll, when you come out you're probably still doing seven or eight so that's much harder work
1: it's more sustained g which is always a lot of fun
4: exactly yeah. so whenever you think of g you have to relate the amount to the time because you know 12g for 0.3 of a second is a heck of a lot easier than uh, 2g <laughs> for an hour
0: just looking through the uh, through the, the team sheet for your team uh, Nigel I noticed you've had a, a, a new technician join the team this year Craig Andrews what can you tell us about him uh, Nigel
4: yeah well, he, he you know we we uh we basically needed someone full time and, and that wasn't our, our position. Last year we had a very, very good engineer but he wasn't available to to do it full time for us so we, re, actually Craig Andrews found us. He's uh, born and brought up in Africa. He was currently at that time working on a um, sort of a human humanitarian aid program, flying, you know, looking after uh, airplanes in Africa. He was based in Angola and uh, you know, he's um, a guy, I mean he's obviously very new to this but uh, a guy with the licenses and the skills, and he's joined our team full time. So we've got a full-time guy who's um, looking after the airplane all the time. And uh, in fact, right now he's he's finishing the assembly process while I talk to you guys.
1: What's it like over there? Is there a lot of excitement in the air? Do, uh, do a lot of people know that it's coming up?
4: I mean, we've just we've kind of not long arrived, and so I haven't been, been to the airfield or travelled the streets much. I mean, I've just been in my hotel actually doing work most days uh, because we didn't get much done in the last week.
0: And of course, um, Edison Kinnelman is the the local pilot from uh, Brazil, Um, is he, Mm -hmm. obviously he's not going to be flying, but I assume he's going to be there and will probably be a hero amongst the crowds, one would think.
4: Yeah, I'd imagine. I mean, I think he's got a huge load on his shoulders with media and all that stuff and he's probably got a very hard job this coming week um, because he's got to do interviews the whole week and not much, no flying. I don't know I, I don't know exactly what his program is, but no, he, I'm, I'm sure he'll be around and, and uh, be having, actually not, I, I imagine it won't be the greatest week for him because he's going to have to just be doing interviews the whole week. All, all the
1: hassles and none of the fun.
4: <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
1: Nigel, you've been with uh, Brightling for over ten years now. Uh, that's a pretty intense uh, relationship that you've been there so together so long. How's that all holding?
4: Good. I mean, I'm a very lucky guy. I think to be part of the Brightling family is is a huge privilege. Uh, it's a, it's a company which is so su- such a high profile in, in aviation. I mean, they're people who totally understand what aviation is all about. They're all all the people at the top all they all fly. They understand it totally. Ooh. I mean, if you look at what they've done and what they've been involved in with from you know the early days of, of the... The Navi timer and aviation, through to their involvement with the uh, Brightling Orbiter and the aerobatics and the Brightling fighters. I mean, these people who just you know their soul is ingrained in aviation. So you know, I'm just a, ve- a very, very lucky, very privileged guy to be uh, involved with them. And you know, it's been interesting because I've done the aerobatic side with the Brightling World Cup when they first started then the Brightling fighters and all this so yeah I'm a lucky guy
0: and i got to tell you the color scheme that uh, you've got on your aircraft with the Brightling i don't mind telling you it's it's the the most stunning uh, paint job of any of the planes in the race i reckon it stands out so well uh, it really stood out against the Perth skyline and i'm sure it will uh, in all the other races too
4: mm-hmm. yeah th- thanks a lot i mean that you know a lot of it, a lot of effort and a lot of design work went into getting the right uh, the right scheme and um yeah it's and 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 what you've just said is is what most photographers say when they come round and, and actually lots of lots of um the crowd, you know the kids I mean a lot of people just love the color scheme which is uh it's always useful absolutely definitely
0: well excellent Nigel we really appreciate you taking the time out to uh, spend so much time with us on the podcast this evening or this morning your time we wish you all the best for the race there in Rio of course uh, you know if uh, you need to give uh, Matt hall a run for his money you know we don't want his head getting too big but as long as he's up there on the podium uh, we, we hope you join him
4: hey uh, yeah well hopefully I'll be slightly higher than him on the podium uh, so, but that's 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 always the aim. I mean, you know, not just to get on the podium, but just to, to get up as high as, as you can. And uh thanks very much for your comments. And I have to say, I'm quite impressed with this Skype because it's, apart from the delay, it's in between. It's 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 been very clear. So uh, good. It's fantastic. Hope, and for free. Yeah. <laughs> Indeed. Our, it's good.
0: Thanks very much, Nigel. We really appreciate it. Thanks, mate. Appreciate your time.
4: Okay, bye.
3: Give your business a professional edge with promotional solutions from audiovisual media.
2: Jingles, Jingles, radio ads, ads, television ads, ads,
3: stunning visual presentations, cards, brochures and catalogues available in print or digital media such as CD or DVD. Audiovisual media, a complete solution to your business promotion. Visit our website at www.audiovisualmedia.com.au
8: or call us on 0407091524.
1: G'day, this is Owens Up. Join me in May 2010 as I trek around Australia in a Jabiru 230 to celebrate the centenary of powered flight down under and in the process raise vital funds for the Royal Flying Doctor Service. Check out my website and follow my progress at www.thereandback.com.au. In the meantime, sit back, relax and enjoy the in-flight service with Grant and Steve on Playing Crazy Down Under.
5: Well, howdy. I'm baggage handler Chuck Armstrong from JuniorFly.com. When I'm not sending your luggage donation to
7: Siberia, I'm listening to Stephen Grant from Plane Crazy Down Under. I know they could use a donation.
9: I think I'll send in your bags.
0: Okay, I'm here with uh, Lenny Rulison. Lenny, g'day. Good And uh, Lenny, you're Matt Hall's engineer. Yes, sir. Okay, so what can you tell me about Matt's new plane? It's done pretty well today. He's uh, put on a great show for us
11: all. Yeah, it's working really well on... Um, just took delivery of it in february Um, got it ready in just in time to go to abu dhabi had a little bit of trouble in abu dhabi there but we got all that worked out Uh, when i came from abu dhabi a week and a half ago i put a brand new engine in it wow so we did that and just before matt got here we finished assembling it so i had it here by myself about five days putting the new engine in it Getting it running and ready for him to fly and he test flew it and we've done very little to it to make it work any better. Yeah, yeah. So yep. it's going as good as it'll go right this minute. We're gonna do some stuff this evening and first thing in the morning just little things that we do amongst ourselves. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Secret sure sauce. Yeah, 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 yeah. I hate to see their secrets but there's things that we do that we don't tell anybody else but absolutely they're probably doing it also yeah, but. yeah
0: so the aircraft is brand new this year and Matt told us in an interview we did with him last year that um, he'd done some modifications him and some Air Force mates of his up at Newcastle somewhere yep
11: uh,
0: it certainly looks a lot more streamlined than the one he had last year um, it just the aerodynamics or
11: has he, he changed the
0: engine up as well? Or? Uh,
11: the engine is different than last year. Um, you can see on the, this particular one, is the uh, he's moved the tail wheel, which uh, Matt had started on that before I got involved, but the tail wheel used to come in from the bottom and now it comes straight out from the back. So then he had to trim off the rudder for some clearance, but it also got rid of some surface area to try to make it faster. And then while we had it at the factory, I modified the cowling, cut the bottom of the cowling off to make it uh, less uh, surface area, frontal area, and that seemed to be a real improvement over the last one, yep. and it was a three or four day project to do that, but I think it's paid lots of dividends for the speed of uh, what Matt has now.
0: I certainly found more sleek, even the, the wheel pants look that's more right. uh, Those are different than yeah. the
11: ones he had last year, and those are things that he picked out himself. Yep. Uh, one of the other big things that's different is the ailerons are approximately a meter shorter in span than the original ones. And one of the benefits is is that we don't need to make the spades so large to make it so you can move the ailerons. Yep. And initially, when Matt flew it in uh, North Carolina, he was able to fly with no spade paddles on it. So he's just doing it with his upper body strength. And I think if uh, he could work at it a little bit longer, we could actually take those off and we could go faster have any spades on it. <laughs>
0: the last time we spoke to Matt, he was in, uh, I think, North Carolina yep. at the MSX uh, factory and he was uh, telling us then that it was quite cold there and uh, yes. so he was trying to test flight when it was freezing and we've heard a lot about from some of the other po- some of the other teams that overheating was an issue in Abu Dhabi did
11: that affect Matt as well no we were very fortunate that the new modified cowling it worked really well in North Carolina and we blame that on the temperatures being cool yeah um, we got to Abu Dhabi it worked just as well the temperatures were up obviously but not as much as it's not 1 degree for the ambient the cylinder has didn't go up that high yeah uh, so it's not proportional for some reason so we lucked out there one of the interesting things i've noticed and this is the first time
0: i've got up so close to these aircraft is when they've had their run they come back here and everybody's got fans blowing in on the motors i assume you guys do that too yeah Yeah. we
11: try to we haven't been able to do it because we don't have the equipment here yet because we haven't purchased everything right Uh, we're changing up um, but fortunately for us, Matt can start it when it's hot. I mean, a lot of guys have trouble when they're hot and it's just a technique thing. And Matt's got that all worked out. Yep. Um, I suspect that the next race we will have a fan to, time to time put, to put the in the, the bottom man. and yeah. it just makes it cool yeah. off faster. Yeah. Uh, so he doesn't have a hot start and doesn't run the battery down. Um, but it's just individual teams and we've been fortunate that Matt knows how to start his airplane. Yeah. Yeah. There's not much Matt can't do from what I've seen. No, no. He's doing
0: really, really well. And, uh, yeah, that's excellent. Now, obviously uh, you don't have a native Australian accent, so uh, what's, what's your background in this uh, in the Red Bull Air Race and aviation in general?
11: Uh, I've been in aviation for more than 30 years, flying aerobatics and working on aerobatic airplanes. I designed and built my own aerobatic airplane many years ago now. Um, I fly aerobatics uh, contests, I still fly aerobatic contests. Um, my Red Bull stuff started with uh, Kirby Shambliss, I was with him in 2006 when he won. Right. And then I changed up and went to work for Steve Jones, uh, the, one of the British fellows. I yep. uh, worked for Steve for two years, and then Steve didn't come back 2009. So I kind of had a year off, and I did uh, U.S. team mechanic for the U.S., robotic team the unlimited team in england oh okay for three weeks so i wasn't standing around doing anything last year i was going in england for yeah, three yeah, weeks and yeah. did that and then matt and i got together this last november uh he had a change with some crew and it was an opportunity for me to come and do it again and an opportunity for matt to have somebody that has some experience doing it yeah. uh, and we'll carry on for a while
0: so how do you like, uh, you've obviously been doing it a long time, it's obviously a bit of a traveling road show around the world, Is uh, what's the lifestyle like?
11: Uh, it's pretty hard for me, uh, what I do is I don't go home, yeah. uh, I left Phoenix, went to New York, then Abu Dhabi, we did the race, uh, we drove to Dubai and then flew directly here to Perth, just so I didn't have to go backwards. Yeah, yeah, at the time. yeah. Time, so I was no jet lag coming here from uh, Dubai. Yeah. And then when I go home from here, I go to Sydney, LA, and then back to Phoenix. So we'll be basically around the world for the first time, all in one direction. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well,
0: uh, Lenny, it's really nice to meet you, and it's great to uh, we talked to Matt six or seven times, so it's great to talk to some uh,
11: some of the people that keep his team running. Great. Well, we appreciate it. I know Matt appreciates everybody, you know, this time here in Perth has been great. For all the locals and everybody, it was so interesting to see how many people
0: came to see Matt. Yeah, I should just ask you before we wind up. uh, He did 129.35, I think, today. The first uh, one, yeah, yeah. that was the fastest. I think it
11: was 130 exact on the second run. Yep. So we're hoping to do better tomorrow. We got a couple things we're going to do this evening and in the morning. Yep. Um, So I think there's some potential there, and I think you know with just his experience, and if we can get through the first one, the rest should be easier.
0: Well, by the look of the crowds that were here in the pit lane walk today, which are three or four hundred deep, I think in fact they had to push a lot of them away. certainly got a lot of home uh, yeah, yeah. support He's here very in Perth.
11: supportive and oh, okay. just amazing how many people were here and cheering him on and being supportive to him
0: yeah absolutely well Lenny it was a pleasure meeting you well, and very uh, nice meet you thanks
11: see. very much thank you very much
0: OK, so there you go, Grant. That was a really interesting chat there with Lenny and a really, really friendly guy and uh, was really grateful that uh, he could spend a few minutes talking to us there. However, just as I was right in the middle of editing that interview down came a press release from uh, David Lyle, uh, Matt Hall's uh, team manager, to the effect that uh, Lenny has actually left the team and has been replaced by a new chief engineer. So uh, David joins us on the line now from up there in Sydney and he's going to tell us all about what's happening and the uh, new changes at uh, Matt Hall Racing. Uh, G'day,
8: David. Hey guys, and thanks very much for having me on the podcast. Pleasure. Yeah, Thanks no for coming on. So uh, David
0: uh, Lenny has decided to uh, to head off and uh, head in a new direction, and of course everybody wishes him well. And obviously he's been instrumental in uh, getting the uh, the new plane up and running this year. He was telling us uh, in the interview there how he'd uh, been changing engines and doing all sorts of uh, tweaks, and it obviously paid off uh, with the fantastic performance in Perth there. But we've got a new chief engineer taking over here.
5: Yeah,
8: absolutely. Lenny put in a lot of hard time and effort from uh, late last year, at, you know, into early this year, and. Uh, was instrumental in us getting the aircraft off the ground and into the race season. Since then, sort of Lenny's changed his direction on where he wants to be headed and what he wants to be doing with his time and uh, you know maybe the direction of the team was headed uh, in, a, in a different direction to him as well and it was just a uh, an agreement between Matt and, and Lenny that uh, they'd part ways, and we've been fortunate enough to obtain the services of Jack Machovis, who's a 31-year-old guy from Perth who is uh, comes very highly recommended. Uh, he's uh, runs his own business over there, uh, Aero Jacks, and uh, you know, has, has a lot of experience working on aircraft and restoring aircraft. Cool. So
1: you've you've now got an all-Australian team, yeah?
8: Yeah, which was fantastic. You know, it's one of the things that Matt had as a goal from the beginning, uh, from when he first found out he was going to be in the air race. He also thought at the time that it was probably the smartest thing to do was to get a technician with some experience and of course there hadn't been any Australians with with a great deal of experience with the air race at at that level uh so he went with Dennis Sawyer in the first year and then uh, Dennis left to be with his lifelong friend Mike Goulian this year and so we picked up Lenny and uh as I said Lenny was fantastic contributor to our early success this season and and to get us where we are and and now we'll uh pick things up from there and, and and move on forward with Jack and uh To have an all-Australian team is something that Matt's obviously worked with, you know, in the military with with Australian teams and, and obviously working with the US when he was on exchange and very excited.
0: So, uh, Jack's um, history with uh, high-performance aircraft. You said he's got his own business uh, over there in Perth, but h- how much experience has he had with the uh, the high-performance aircraft, such as you'll be dealing with now?
8: Well, he hasn't worked with you know too much with with an MX uh, MXS. He, he is, however, very confident that he can sort of you know pick that up as he goes. He's worked a lot with the Edge, done a lot of work with guys at Fighter Combat International uh, Drew Searle and, and yep. Arius over there who, who have an edge and who, and I think an extra as well and Jack's done a lot of work for those guys and uh, he still still does a lot of work for those guys over there so very well versed in the things that he's going to need to do he, he's, he's watched the air race from, from afar given Drew Searle's position as a you know, race director and so forth so um, while he hasn't been directly involved he, he did uh, stand in and help out one of the pilots when they were uh, last in Perth or or we in Perth, maybe the first time a couple of years ago, and he was in the hangar with us all weekend in Perth, along with Peter Pring Shambler, who's the head technician down at the Tamora Aviation Museum. And uh, you know, Peter, Peter was, and, and Jack were both tremendous helps to Len and and uh, and myself, and, and obviously to Matt in the, the past couple of weeks. So
1: now you've got your you know, change to the team and a slightly different structure and so on. You don't have a lot of time to get that team fully bedded together before Rio. Uh, are you doing anything special to get get everyone used to working together, or is there there are Enough of a knowledge and relationship there that, that it's just flowing.
8: Well, it's a good question, Grant. But I think um, we were fortunate enough that the last race was in Perth, and that, as I, as I mentioned earlier, that um, Jack was able to spend the weekend with us in the hangar. He does have a bit of a grounding in in the air race from from, from the people he's worked with before, and he, he's yeah. you know he has been in the hangars in in previous Perth races. So getting to know him, you know, we did go and have a have a beer before um, the race in Perth, and we also went and had dinner with our whole team, including Lenny and and uh, Jack Jack and his wife and so forth after the event in Perth just to get a bit more more of a chance to get to know each other on a personal level and uh, yeah, we're certainly looking forward to the opportunity to work with Jack and, and he's sort of indicated to us that he's really looking forward to joining the team.
1: Okay, but otherwise it's hi, welcome to Rio, let's get stuck into it, yeah?
8: Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, uh, it's one of those things where the Air Race community is a very tight-knit community and... Um, I have no doubts that if, if Jack has some questions that, that I can't answer or, or certainly that Matt can't answer, that there'll be someone that'll be able to help us out. And um, you know, we're very positive and confident moving forward that we're on the up. Yeah,
1: it is one of the greatest things I've seen about Red Bull is, uh, you know, yes, you're competing and everything, but there's a very friendly rivalry goes on. Every, everyone's willing to help each other out to make it better overall.
8: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, as you say, friendly rivalry, there's certainly rivalry in the sky. And I, I know there's certain things about aircraft development and team development and so forth that uh, these guys wouldn't share. But there certainly is a very healthy respect for each other. There's a, a great camaraderie and, and a particular care for each other's safety. And uh, I think we saw that in Perth with uh, Adelson Kindleman's accident, how the guys were, how, how distressed they were after the outcomes and, and, and how uh, they're banded together and, you know, they help each other and ensure that if they do think that one of their fellow competitors is maybe pushing the limits or the boundaries that they, they certainly
0: have a word to each other about it. Well, and I've got an, an interesting story about that. Is just as an aside, uh, when I was in Perth and I was on the race airport side, you know they have the media tent set up right next to the uh, the area where all the pilots and crews uh, have their, their hospitality tent. And uh, just as I was walking off for the day, um, I, I sort of walked out past the, the area where all the, the pilots were now gathering and all their teams and uh, just chilling out after the, the day's qualifying session. And here is Matt Hall standing out in the front... Uh, talking to a bunch of children who I guess were known to him uh, just standing here explaining to them uh, some of the uh, the elements of uh, navigation by the stars and it was just a, a real good example there of, of what a f- it was almost a family like atmosphere that I sensed as I walked past there it was uh, quite an interesting moment so I don't know whether all the pilots are like that but I thought that was uh, one up for Matt
8: Yeah Steve I mean certainly Matt is a, a real proud family man and bases um, his life and, and, and indeed the way we run our team around family and, and those sort of values and uh, you know he loves kids, and and uh, certainly all the all the pilots that bring their families, whether it be their kids or their wives or, or parents or whatever, to the races. Um, you know, there, there is yeah really healthy camaraderie between the, the whole the whole group.
0: Now. Perth was obviously an excellent result and there was just I think everybody in the crowd was on the edge of their seats coming uh, of course Matt w- went through in the uh, the top four there he went through I think uh, second I think might have been yeah, first. First. First, first he went through that's right so everybody uh, you know he had his time up there and everybody including myself I might tell you was on the edge of their seats just watching those other three aircraft go through after him and, <laughs> and counting those times down and watching the screens it was just a, a really exciting place to be there in Perth and uh, it, it not only as well I think for the Red Air race in general, but um, I'm really confident now that that will bring a much greater following to uh, to Matt and his adventures in the future.
8: Well, we certainly hope so, Steve. I mean, one of the the things that Matt's really keen on doing, a, a, apart from obviously from a, a personal perspective in improving his his abilities as as an airman and, and you know his uh, position in this world championship, but another one is to increase the level of recognition and understanding of aviation in this country and indeed around the world. And you know, it's events like we saw over in Perth or a week or so ago now. That really go a long way to doing that, and it's sort of it's exposure and publicity that uh, you know we only get an opportunity at once once a year, and um, this is the first time that Matt's been involved in a Perth race, and I think it worked out really really well.
0: He has actually said he was feeling quite a lot of uh, nerves before the the race, and <laughs> a real uh, you know putting a lot of high expectations on himself, uh, and actually comparing the stress he was putting on himself to as uh, similar to that that he experienced when he was in combat, which I thought was interesting.
8: Yeah, I think I think the point there was just the level of of, uh commitments that we that we had to go through and the stress that that we had going on um, behind the scenes it was it was one of those things where you, you want to make the most of a situation and and you want to do all the me- accept all the media requests that you get which is you know a, a wonderful part of the job and um and then we had our, our supporters tour and um, we had you know matt had a lot of family there in perth and a lot of friends and everyone sort of wants a piece of the action and and <laughs> it's one of those things where you, you want to be everything to everyone but at the end of the day there's only 20 24 hours in a day and and there's also you know only so much time you can give away from the racetrack where you really need to focus and you know it's an area that both Matt and myself sort of who was managing his time found uh, very difficult to manage Um, and we really appreciated actually how understanding everyone was of of the level of commitment that we had over there and it's certainly something for next year that we might have to look at to, to maybe reduce the amount of activities that we do in and around the race.
1: David, you're you mentioning you know you're managing his time and so on. And so uh, my question for you is, how's it been as his manager? You've you've stepped up to become the the team manager and working very closely with Matt. Uh, how are you finding that?
8: Grant, it's been fantastic. I mean, Matt's a very professional guy. He's uh, you know I, I've worked with a lot of. Uh, Experienced athletes over the years at a high level. Um, you know, my former job was the media manager of the Australian swim team for four years, and you know, worked with with lots of Olympic gold medalists, international football players, and so forth in different codes. And the the issue that often managers and people in PR, which is my sort of background in that area, has a lot of the time is that you're dealing with young people who have very little experience in the real world, um, and they're thrust into a situation of, of notoriety or fame or or just high level stress when they really don't heavy maybe the, the ability to cope with what goes on around it. Um, as Steve mentioned before, Matt's been in situations where the stress level is something that the, the normal human and I put myself in in that sort of situation that we can't even fathom um, and that's you know being in combat. So it's certainly it's made it easier. For me, as, as a, you know, as a, uh, I guess, a management professional and a media professional to deal with someone who knows what they want to achieve and understands how to take advice from people and, and how to uh, to get on with things. And, uh, you know, I f- feel like I'm very privileged to, to be in the position I'm in.
1: Okay, because uh, you, you mentioned like um, Olympics, swimming, football and all that. Well, now, now you're in the uh, rather out there world of flying. Um, how, are you, how are you finding that transition? Uh, many similarities? What, what are the differences like? I know the flying world's quite different to many others in terms of these crazy pilots and things like that.
8: Yeah, that's that's another good question. A lot of the things, the processes are very similar. The process of the, the athlete, meaning the pilot's preparation to perform, the process of a team to to do what they have to do to get the pilot and the aircraft, the, the tools to get them in the position to perform are the same as in any sport really. You have to prepare and you have to prepare well. You have to follow a plan and and be able to adjust to that plan if it goes off beat. But having said that, the the vagaries of aviation is something that I'm yeah still getting used to and, and quite enjoying actually. I've spent many 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 hours at swimming pools around the world, and um, now to be able to um, to be involved in a different sport and with with a different group of people is is very exciting for me. And while I've still got a long long way to go and you know a, a huge learning curve, I, I um, I'm enjoying the, the ride.
0: Okay, just before we wrap up, David, there's a couple of things we need to uh, to run by you on the Hall range. Store side of things. Uh, we should just mention that uh, Matt has got his online store up. You're selling uh, all sorts of uh, supporter gear there. And uh, did I hear something recently about an iPhone app?
8: Yeah, absolutely. We've uh, we, we have launched a, a range of merchandise. We've got men's and women's T-shirts and polo shirts, and we've got caps, and also our 2010 team guide, which is uh, you know a full-coloured look at the team here at, at Matt Hall Racing, and, and and a you know a real view into who Matt is and, and what his background is. Um, and, and then there's areas. You know full explanations of the Red Bull Air Race itself, the rules and explanations of how the pylons work and so on. And then, as you mentioned, we've launched an Apple iPhone application, Matt Hall Racing application. It can be found at the iTunes store and, uh, for $4.99. And it, it, it just another way for you to keep up with everything to do with, with uh, the team at Matt Hall Racing, with Matt himself, and, of course, with the Red Bull Air Race. So if you've got an iPhone, um, well worth downloading the application.
0: We need to make a BlackBerry app, mate, we've, well, we're BlackBerry people here.
8: it's funny i am too um so i'm sort of uh learning the iphone as i go as well
1: okay i've got i've got one question i've got to ask is uh how many times have you been up flying with Matt?
8: Only once. Well, two flights, uh, an out and back, um, very short actually, probably 15, 20-minute flights each one. I'm not much of a daredevil and I'm uh, not one for confined spaces, so um, <laughs> getting me in there was a, a challenge in the first place. I, I always knew I was going to do it and I needed to do it, and I, I would go again, but I'm certainly not begging for a ride each time Matt gets in the, in the giles.
0: Well, <laughs> well, we are, just, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> i the queue. Yeah,
8: yeah, I know. Oh yeah oh yeah we, we figure it's a
1: huge cue. yeah I'm, I'm the crazy one who loves life inverted I think Steve would give it a go once i'm I'm like as many times as I can get myself inverted and so on I, I love it yep. okay so uh
0: you're uh, as we said at this at the top there you're in sydney on a, on a on a brief hiatus between races uh you're off to Rio next we're recording this on the uh, 28th of April so uh, how many days until you uh pack everything up and head off
8: yeah Saturday which is the first of May so I head off first of May with with jack and and then matt follows us a day later so by the 2nd of May, we'll all be in Rio and um, we'll have the plane reassembled probably by the, the evening of the 2nd or the the very morning of the 3rd and, and uh, have Matt in the plane that day.
1: Cool. Well, hey, at least you guys didn't have to worry about uh, volcano ash clouds blocking your way home.
8: Yeah, it's unfortunate for the other teams. It's sort of one of those things where, you know, and, and, and it's no one's fault, we, we we come from Australia, we live in Australia and we're very proud to do so, but we have to travel a long way to get to more races than, than anyone else. And so to um, to have a hassle like this and have it not affect us was, a, a, I guess, a pleasant little bonus.
0: Well, David, uh, it's it's we really appreciate you spending some time with us. And just on a personal note, mate, I uh, really appreciate you uh, putting up with me, chasing you all over the place in Perth. I uh, was really quite out of my depth there for my uh, first ever media joint but I appreciate you uh, helping me out there where you did and um, we wish you all the best uh, and Matt of course for the uh, the rest of the season we'll be following with great interest and uh, we'll hope to be talking with Matt again as soon as we can
8: No worries Steve, I think you're underselling yourself mate I think you did a great job Thank you very much <laughs> Cool, thanks David No worries guys
0: And there you have it, Grant. I'll tell you what, I'm exhausted just listening back to all of that. Boy, we've been busy with this one.
1: Oh, yeah. That's definitely been a packed episode this time. Uh, Lots of Red Bull goodness. And, uh, yeah, uh, I think a good result for our time in – well, your time in Perth and our time since having chats with people after.
0: Yeah, I'll tell you what, mate. I know you're a big fan of energy drinks. Uh, You would be over there at uh, Red Bull. Those people that work in the Red Bull
1: press room, they just live on that stuff. I don't think they ever sleep, and I think now I know why. Yeah, there is that aspect. I wouldn't say I'm a big fan of it, but I do use them when I have to. If I've if I've been ballooning in the morning and I have to work in the afternoon, um, I will I will use one just to help keep me awake because I don't drink coffee or anything like that. But, um, look, you know, I've been uh, – I don't think I've had an energy drink since I got back from Indonesia, mate. Boy, anyone any
0: wonder, that explains all those rings under your eyes, mate. Yeah, it could
1: explain why I'm now, you know, sleeping in early in the morning. But anyhow. There you
0: go. <laughs> <sighs> we move on. So that's a wrap for all the Red Bull stuff, folks. I really hope you enjoyed that. We put a lot of effort into that one and uh, uh, like I said uh, a bit before I, I think I had some ideals of going over there and interviewing every pilot I could, I could uh, you know that was there but uh, it doesn't quite work that way and if it's one thing I've learnt that's it so uh, we'll be much better prepared the next time but I was still pretty happy with the way all those interviews came together and uh, particularly the interview with Nigel Lamb, uh, there's some gold in there in terms of information. Oh yeah. Uh, he's talking about his lift and drag and angles of attack and all this sort of stuff, I mean that's not sort of stu- the sort of stuff you'd get uh, you know in a, in a mainstream media interview uh, No but,
1: definitely. Uh, that's the advantage
0: and if- of uh, uh, doing what we do here at Playing Crazy Down Under and uh, new media in general. I mean, we can talk in specifics and uh, that's that's why we enjoy doing this program so much. Well, we certainly hope you folks uh, are getting as much out of it from listening to it as we are from
1: producing it. Indeed, and if you want to hear me drop a real clanger, Steve cut it out of the uh, discussion that you've just heard with Nigel, but if you want to hear the real good clanger, listen to the bloopers right at the end of the show after everything's finished, and uh, Steve's going to put it in there. It's, uh, it's me showing that I hadn't quite done enough Reviewing, I was sure I had the right information but should have checked a bit further. Yeah, Oops. I remember you
0: were uh, dropping that particular thing, going, uh, Grant, I don't think that's right. But uh,
1: <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, well, Nig- Nigel gave me the smackdown.
5: <laughs> anyway,
0: that didn't go right. But I tell you what, mate, speaking of things that have been going right for one of our listeners, we'd just like to mention our friend who sent us some cockpit audio recently, Damien Rose. A big uh, – where's, where's the crowd? Here they are. They're all assembled and – Yes, Damien
1: Rose has passed his GFPT grant. Yes, that's right. For those who don't know, a GFPT is a general flying proficiency test, and that's the indication that you're now allowed to go solo. You are able to go out into the training area on your own. It's it's a step beyond your first solo. Once you've got your GFPT, you're able to go into the training area, fly on your own, come back to the airport and in some cases with the the instructor's approval you're allowed to take a passenger with you so Congrats Damien, well done, that's awesome
0: Excellent mate, well done, yes it's uh, what was known back when I started flying as a restricted private pilot's licence but uh, I think yep. that's uh, what they call it now, the GFPT, so yeah, great stuff Damien and uh, as we, you heard Damien say uh, the time he came on with his cockpit audio there, that he's uh, sold his house to pay for his flying training, which is a, a really, Pretty really intense. brave and bold and intense move, so uh, you know, as we said before and I'm sure all our listeners wish Damien all the best with his uh, flying training and uh, he's already knocked that GFPT off, so I'm sure it won't be too long before he's got his PPL, his CPL, and he's coming down here in a private jet to fly ground
1: and oil over the place. I'm in for that. Works for me. Yeah. Yeah. Come on, Damien. We're behind you all the way, especially when you're the pilot and we're in the, in the back sipping margaritas. But anyhow. Yeah, that's exactly right.
0: Yeah. <laughs> so that's about everything we have for you on episode 31 of Playing Crazy Down Under. I certainly hope you enjoyed it, folks. As we've said uh, quite a few times through here, we've uh, we've really enjoyed putting this one together. It's certainly taken us a lot of traveling and a lot of recording, a lot of effort to put this together. And uh probably should just put out a little uh, mention for our tip jar here, Grant. Uh, I know you've been hearing ads and on the show, and uh, we have been uh, looking at getting some ads going forward into the future, which is why you're here the uh, the plugs for our advertising services, but uh, we haven't picked up any paying advertisers as yet. We're pretty sure we will soon, but in the meantime, they, the trip to Perth did uh, cost us a fair bit of dough, so uh, if uh, folks, if you could hit our website and maybe put uh, two or three bucks into the tip jar, we'd certainly appreciate it.
1: Oh, Every every little bit counts, guys.
0: I always feel a bit uneasy uh, talking about the tip jar, but some people have uh, seen their way uh, clear to, to give us far more money than we would have ever expected uh, in terms yep. of uh, single donations, but uh, yeah, if people could throw two or three bucks in the tip jar uh, at the moment, it, that'd be uh, really uh, sincerely appreciated,
1: folks. Every every little dollar counts. I mean, we've got uh, you know there's the Skype out calls, and we make when we're bringing people in from overseas and who aren't on Skype normally. And there's some future travel coming up for some of our projects we're working on. So every little bit counts, and it's it's your little donations that help keep us going and and help make us go. Oh shucks, they like us. Yeah, that's
0: right. Once we uh, once we start getting some uh, some regular advertising on the show, and we think that'll be uh, probably it'll take us a little bit of time to build up a, our reputation a bit more before that'll happen but uh, once uh, once they come on stream then we won't need to be begging people for money but in the meantime uh, yeah, if, uh, folks if you could help us out we, we really would appreciate it that'd be great anyway enough of that Grant until the next episode like we said at the top of the show uh, it'll only be a few days uh, between releases this time around so uh, better get this one listened to and filed away quickly so we can get the next one out to you sounds good so just remember when you're doing a Red Bull air race or travelling to Indonesia and playing with the monkeys just remember this it's what's down
3: under that counts you've been listening to Playing Crazy Down. Down Under hosted by Steve Vischer and Grant McCarran. Show notes, links to our forum, Facebook fan page, YouTube channel and Grant and Steve's own blogs can be found on our website www.plaincrazydownunder.com or keep up with our Twitter handle of PCDU. Comments or feedback can be left on our website or email us at plaincrazydownunder at gmail.com. If you'd like to help with the ongoing production of the show, feel free to assist via the donate button on the website. Any contributions are most gratefully appreciated. Incidental music and sound effects are courtesy of And title music is You Name It Five by Brian Simpson. Production and editing by Steve Vischer.
1: Let's rap rap, 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 rap rap it. Yeah, I'll
0: just... yeah. How did I come out of that last bit? I can't remember. It was the last time I was here. Yeah. Yeah, make sure you check your iTunes feed, folks. Uh, some uh, podcatchers may not pick up the second one if you haven't already downloaded this one. So, um, yeah, just keep an eye on that. Yeah, indeed. Well, that doesn't make any sense because if they hadn't
1: downloaded it, they wouldn't have... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. Uh, move this here and drop that down there and everyone goes, oh, it's a space cannon. <laughs> most upset
4: no, you missed a good rate you missed an interesting week <laughs>
1: yeah yeah it had everything first ever crash the works it's uh you know some amazing results and yeah it didn't, it
4: did, it, hang, on, hang on a sec. it didn't have everything
1: okay what did it didn't have me winning you're connecting you're connecting oh,
0: hit no. the button oh, oh, hit the button sorry sorry <laughs> i'm gonna end this call yo <laughs> Bloody of <hell.
1: laughs> <laughs> dag <laughs> you're in Rio and this is the first time that Rio's ever held a red Bull how how are they going there is everyone is there a lot of excitement in the air do, do a lot of people know that it's coming up what's it like over there
4: actually it's the second year the really first, the first Rio was 2000 yeah first Rio was 2007 Oops. and it was it was and it was huge so <laughs> yeah so your research your <laughs> research isn't quite on the button but yeah. no, oh, they they don't
1: it it <laughs> it's what's down under
5: that counts Ah, <laughs> uh.